Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We'll look at chapters 1 and 2 as we move through the sermon, but our text this morning is verses 26 through 31. This is the Word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have for them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened Your Word and as we are continuing to consider that You are not only the Creator of heaven and earth, but that You are our Creator, I pray that You would help us to humble ourselves uh, under Your Lordship, that though You have given us the highest place in all creation, yet we are still Your created beings. We belong to You. And so I pray, help us to submit to Your Lordship and trust wholly in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the first two chapters of Genesis. They are the goodest chapters in the whole Bible. There are no other chapters from Genesis through Revelation that are gooder than these two chapters. See, the word good appears 12 times in Genesis 1 and 2. You know most of these references. They refer to the days of creation. But I bet you'll be surprised to learn that it is not until day 3 that we actually find this phrase. Um find the familiar phrase, and God saw that it was good, there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Days 1 and 2 don't end like that. We find the same phrase repeated the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and then we find a variation of this phrase in, in um, on the sixth day. It reads, and God saw that everything that He had made, and behold, Not simply good, but very good. I love the Hebrew phrase here. Uh, It is tov ma'od. Literally, it is good exceedingly. And the day concludes, or the sixth day concludes, and there was evening and morning the sixth day. So on days one 
And two, the Bible doesn't use this phrase. It very consciously avoids it, in my opinion. Uh, It says the first thing that God created, light, that the light was good, but it does not use the word good in relation to the day. And on day two, the word good does not even appear at all. Isn't that odd? Why is that? The question becomes, what makes days one and two different from days three, four, five, and six? And in case you're wondering, hey, I thought there were seven days in creation. Well, we refer to the six days of creation. Why? Well, God rested on the seventh day. And we will um, address that in probably a couple of weeks from now. So what makes days 3 through 6 different from days 1 and 2? I'm pretty certain that I know what makes them different. On day 3, land appears. In other words, God is intent on creating the world for human beings. On days 1 and 2, there is no land. So creation has not yet narrowed in on God's purpose. Everything from, from uh, days, on days 3, 4, 5, and 6 begins narrowing in on making the land habitable for man. And that's why uh, these days, I believe, are said to be good. That's why God saved the creation of man for last because He was emphasizing that the highest part of His creation was the creation of mankind. Humanity is the highest and most important part of His creation. That is why day six is said to be tov ma'od, good exceedingly. See, God intended for humanity to be the kings of creation. We read it in Psalm 8. Uh, Man is to be the ruler over creation. God created the world in order that human beings might rule. That they might rule over it. So we read in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, there's a few things I want to say here, and I'll be very brief. First of all, you notice the plural here. Let us make man in our image. Uh, A not-so-subtle hint about the Trinity is given here. In fact, um, you could look at at the New Testament and find out that uh, Jesus Christ is the Creator. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And then you see the Spirit of God moving over the waters in Genesis 1-2. In other words, the Trinity is not a New Testament concept. It is rooted in all the Scriptures. We see it here even in Genesis chapter 1. And then it says, and then the second thing I want to point out from verse 26 is, He says, let us make man in our image. No other part of creation is given that 
title or that that uh, primacy, supremacy. Let us make man in our image. God has God has created man in His image. So what does that mean? Well, being created in God's image means that there's no other creature like humanity. Uh, it means that God created humanity as spiritual beings with an everlasting soul. That God created humanity as rationally thinking beings. Even teenagers. As the father of teenagers. Um, and God created humanity as moral beings who know right from wrong. It also means that human beings were created as holy and righteous, um, as holy and righteous beings that can stand in God's presence and have fellowship with Him. Uh, that's what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. Humanity, being made in God's image, was truly blessed. Also, in verse 26, we see where the Bible says that. Uh, Human beings were created to rule over creation and over, over the earth and over all creatures. So again, look at verse 26. It, uh, continuing after it says about the, uh, us being made in God's image, it said, "...let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." And then in verses 28 through uh, 30, it essentially says the same thing with a little more, um, little more of the details. We were created by God to be the kings of creation. God gave everything to humanity. In fact, Genesis 2 illustrates our kingly dominion very clearly. Genesis 2, by the way, is not a different creation account. Rather, Genesis uh, 2 is just a picture of the day 6 of creation. But it looks at creation not from above from God's standpoint, but it looks at it from man's standpoint. Uh, so Genesis 2, verses 7 and 8, we learn that God created Adam, the first human being, uh, from the dust of the earth. Uh, we also learn that He created uh, Eve from Adam's rib. And He placed them in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was located in what we know as modern-day Iraq. Somewhere between the northwest, somewhere northwest of the Persian Gulf, between the the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, um, it's interesting that that area is so arid and and dusty when it used to be so fertile. In the Garden of Eden, everything that humanity could possibly ever want was amply, wonderfully supplied. The fruit was good for food. The land was good for being worked and growing uh, all kinds of vegetation. It was filled with the riches that were fit for kings. So you read in verse 9 of chapter 2, 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden uh, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 a river flowed out of Eden to the to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Uh, it gives the name of the rivers, um, uh, and also it says there that there was um, the land. It flowed around the land of uh, Havala, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and oints stone are are also there, and then the name of the second river, the Gihon. And then it flowed around the whole land of Cush, which we uh, do know as Babylon. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the Euphrates. And then verse 15 says, God put man um, right there in the middle of the garden to work it and keep it. God was intent on providing every good thing for man. In fact, God was so intent on providing every good thing, He looked and realized that, oops, there's something good that I have not provided. And I'm speaking metaphorically here. Um, Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. So what does He do? He provides the good. He provides a wife, a helpmate, um, so that Adam and Eve were provided with every good thing. There was only one thing that God withheld from us. Verse 9 tells us that in the middle of the garden was planted the tree of life. That was not withheld from us, but also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the one thing that God expressly withheld from us. In fact, look at verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. What was this uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And why did God withhold it from man? Also, to that point, why did God plant it in the middle of the garden if man was forbidden from eating its fruit? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there to remind uh, mankind of God's authority. It was a living testimony that God alone is the source of all wisdom and the giver of true knowledge. I'm going to step back and I'm going to say some of the things I've already said, but I want to try and make this picture as clear and as bold as I possibly can to make the point that I believe Moses was trying to make to the Israelites as he wrote the book of Genesis. God gave utterly everything in creation to mankind. He gave enormous privilege and freedom to mankind. Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, Now out of the 
out of the, the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he, being man, Adam, would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. And then it says, but for Adam there was not a helper found fit for him, and therefore he gave to him a wife. God is saying to man, I am not stingy in my blessings to you. God is intent on giving every good thing to Adam. And so here, when He brings the animals to see what uh, Adam would name the animals, it seems as if God is rather enjoying listening to what Adam, to the names that Adam is giving uh, to these animals. But there was this one thing out of all creation that God withheld from man. However, Adam and Eve became prideful in their high position. Their position of privilege caused them to aim higher than they should have aimed. They thought that they should have a position equal with God. So look at chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She wanted to be wise on the same plane as God. And so if you want to say that the sin of pride was the sin that laid behind her taking the fruit and eating it, I think that would be accurate. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected God as the source of all good. And they tried to become kings not only of creation, but they tried to become kings over all of creation, over all of the universe. And in one great grab for power, Adam and Eve, along with all of their posterity, all of their descendants, which would be all of us, we fell from our position of privilege, of prestige, of blessing, and of our position of fellowship with God. Genesis 1 and 2, Moses wants the people of Israel to see how stupid it was for Adam and Eve to sin against God. They had everything. But in their sin, they, and therefore we, lost everything. We lost our privilege. We lost our prestige. We lost our blessing. We lost fellowship with God. We're going to learn in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, when we look at the fall, that when we are born into this world, we are born dead in sins, alive and breathing, 
yet spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Not when we first sin, but from the very moment of our conception. How great was our fall in Adam. In fact, we also lost eternal life. If you want to look over at chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us in, in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and, and, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east end of the garden, or at the east, I'm sorry, at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is not God being spiteful, by the way. This is God uh, protecting us from eating from the tree of life and becoming confirmed having eternal life separated from God, having eternal life eternally dead in our sins. He was waiting for us to partake of a different tree of life, the true tree of life, Jesus Christ our Lord. Got to find out where I've been out of my notes for a few minutes. Ah, uh, our first parents, um, I'm sorry, Gen- uh, Genesis 1 and 2, Moses wants us to see how stupid it was for them to sin against God. We lost everything. And now, if, if I were God and I were writing the rest of history after Adam and Eve fell, I think what I would have done is I would have uh, wiped out Adam and Eve and started all over. Uh, I have a little bit of a perfectionist streak in me, but I, but I'm also very impatient. Um, and uh, God is a perfectionist. He's perfect. He will only allow perfect people to be in fellowship with Him. Uh, so I guess He's the only fulfilled perfectionist. Um, I'm a perfectionist, but I am so imperfect that I'm never satisfied, only frustrated, I think, all the time. But God, remaining perfect, remaining pure, remaining too holy to allow sinful people in His presence, He did something remarkable. He loved mankind even though mankind had turned against Him. And he set about building a new humanity from the rebellious, self-exalting, prideful humanity that remains after the fall. The whole rest of the Bible is how God redeemed humanity. Uh, how God, being perfect, could not simply wave a magic wand and set everything right. I don't know if you realize this, there are some things that God simply cannot do. He cannot deny Himself. He cannot lie. And He cannot be imperfect. For Him simply to ignore Adam and Eve's sin would have been unjust. So God designed a way to redeem Adam and Eve uh, and to redeem them from their sins 
while yet punishing their sins that were held in their account, that were held against them. What God did was He sent a new Adam into the world. But this Adam did not come into the Garden of Eden. The second Adam came into a world full of wickedness, hatred, evil, and murder. And what he did, the first Adam failed to do. The second Adam lived a perfect life. He never sinned against God. He was tempted in, all, in, in ways that Adam could not even imagine. But he obeyed God in all his actions, in all his words, in all his thoughts, in all his desires, even in his deepest motives. Every moment of his life, he obeyed God perfectly. He never once sinned. The second Adam came into this world not just for Adam and Eve, but for countless sinners. His death was able to atone not just for Adam's one sin there in the garden, but for all the sins of all of his people. This is because the second Adam was infinitely valuable. See, this second Adam was God Himself, Jesus Christ, the second, second person of the Trinity. No one less than Him could have redeemed you from your sins. It is remarkable to me that so many people try and redeem themselves from their sins by their, their own efforts, by their own good works. I have breaking news for you. You are less than Jesus Christ. You are not even able to begin to redeem yourself from your sins. All you can do is flee to Him. And so I, I urge you, flee to Him now. Do not wait one hour. Do not hedge. Do not hesitate. Flee to Him. He is your only Savior. He is your only hope. He is the only way that you are going to be able to have fellowship with God. I've already pointed out that Moses wants us to see how stupid it was for us to sin against God. It is still stupid of us to sin against God. He is our Maker. He is our true King. He is our source of truth, of wisdom, and of blessing. What does this world have that is so precious, that is so valuable, that is so dear, that you would reject God to have it? All humanity has been shaking their heads at Adam and Eve in complete disbelief because they sinned against God when they had everything. We all ask, how could they be so thick-headed and rebellious? If you do not flee to Jesus Christ because you are choosing this world over Jesus Christ, then all of redeemed humanity will be shaking their head at you in disbelief on the day of judgment. The essence of Adam and Eve's sin was pride. 
They wanted to be their own source of knowledge and wisdom. They wanted independence. They wanted the right to choose their own path apart from God's authority. It is remarkable how powerful this temptation remains. You can plead, beg, and do everything um, everything in terms of like shaking a person and saying, repent of your sins. And they won't do it. They remain hard-hearted. They remain committed to the things of this world. And they choose themselves over God. That is not a path of wisdom. You are not being smarter than anyone else if you think that your way is better than God's. You are lifting yourself up to that position that is reserved only for God. You are being rebellious. It is the sin of Adam and Eve all over again and again and again. But here's the good news. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem Adam and Eve. And He came not only to redeem them, He came to redeem sinners. Will you come to Him now? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are children of Adam and Eve. We were born into that world this way. I thank You that Jesus Christ was willing to leave His place of eternal blessedness and take on humanity to be born into this world, to be the Savior, to be the substitute for sinners, to be sin for sinners, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God, to be redeemed from our empty way of life, to be redeemed from our rebellion and pride, to be brought into that glorious freedom and eternal blessedness as children of the living God. Father, I pray that all here this morning would flee to Him now. I pray in His name. Amen.